Hey, Whiskey Ringers. I am thrilled to welcome back Impex Beverages as the Whiskey Ring Podcast presenting sponsor. Each month, we'll be talking about a new set of single casks, maybe feature a chosen distillery or a single cask from a chosen distillery. Listen for the mid-roll for more info on this month's offerings. And now, a brand new episode of the Whiskey Ring Podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to a new episode of the Whiskey Ring Podcast. Today, we're going back over to Scotland, and we're going to a little area that I really have very little familiarity with, which are the, I guess you would call them the lowland region, but the upper lowlands. Um, and we're going to be talking about Lochley Distillery with Mr. John Campbell himself. John, welcome. Hi, dude. How are you doing? Doing well, doing well. Great to have you on. So, you know, Lochley is... As we're talking uh, right now, you know, we're recording on December 18th. And so it'll be a few weeks before this episode comes out. But I was uh, quite excited to get you on for multiple reasons. One being you just won a slew of awards. It is award season, of course. Um, I got the chance to pick up a couple of the newer releases, the Harvest Edition, the Our Barley Edition, uh, which we'll talk about a little bit later. And uh, in my own year-end awards Lockley will be let's say uh, making a, its presence known uh, in a couple of categories so I was very excited to have you on um, we're also recording literally minutes after Argentina has won the World Cup so congratulations to those supporting Argentina sorry to literally the entire rest of the world uh, but you will go forward so Jumping right in. You know, let, let's start uh, with Lachlay itself. You know, the the vision for what this distillery is meant to be. No, that's a good question. And yeah, no, so Lochley is a farm distillery in, in the truest essence, I guess. Um, it's like all the barley is grown on the farm. We, are, we don't have a floor malting as yet, um, so we malt it off-site, but the barley is stored on the farm until it gets sent away to be malted. The, the, all the other, like once it's malted, we'll take it back to the distillery, we'll store it in bins, and then we will start to process it um, through the plant. The distillery itself is small, I would say, um, <laughs> definitely in comparison to a world I would have known previously. Um, it only does processes about 10 tonnes a week. So that's normally one mash in a normal Scottish distillery. So it is more like everyone says it's craft, but like it's more leaning towards small kind of batches, um, two tonne mashes Monday to Friday. So it, it processes that through. It's then all stored in either first fill bourbon or European oak on site um, as well. And then we will process all the, the liquid on site ready to be bottled at a, a contractor as well. So only it, from Lochley's point of view, then it'll come back to the site. So it only really goes off site twice to be malted and to be bottled. And um, areas we're looking at ourselves as well, but um, 
It is. It's, it's very. It's like thirty barrels a week. It's not a lot of production at Lochley. Um, we are pushing t- to keep it that way, but um, as much as possible. It's all as. Um, I guess we we won an award last week, and it was all to do with the fact that Everton's done in the farm, and that's that's probably our most favourite award so far this year. And just jumping back to you know your own story, as you said, it was it's a completely different world from the one you inhabited previously. Uh, while while at Lafroig, you know, dealing with massive volumes of of whiskey production, storage, um, sales as well. Uh, when I was doing research for this episode, uh, one of the ones that I leaned heavily on was your interview with One Nation Under Whiskey. And that was back in February of this year. Yeah. Or I guess if you're listening, February of 2022, I should say. And at that time, the move was still relatively fresh. I mean, you'd come on in sure. like November. Yep, that's uh, correct. And, and one of the things that you said what at the time was that the the move didn't even occur to you until or the possibility of a move didn't occur to you until lockdown happened um and you know at add into that at lafroy you're dealing with as you put it 200 years of history on your shoulders at lockley you can start from scratch really from that so you know that was your feeling about two to three months after after joining uh what are your feelings now you know have they changed have they evolved since then as well yeah no it's just it's, they're somewhat similar but equally they are evolving as well and i think it's to do with the fact that everyone's evolving at lockley so it was we we are starting to use the whole team um, and building their confidence and the skills that they need to have to be in whiskey, I guess. So we are starting to lean more on that now as well. So it's more of a, it's definitely much more of a team effort now than it would have been maybe just because I, I guess I, I just had the experience. So like I'm trying to, like, I guess the thing is now is passing on your experience and training and developing the team. And that's been a big part of what we've done over the last almost year. Um, David so that's the thing you really want to try and do more than anything else it's just because I guess nowhere can be reliant on one person so that that's the thing and it's just we just we built the Lochley way I guess over the last nine months or so so that's that to me is really the exciting bit as well because now it's just it's what Lochley does it's not just we're I guess wandering in the dark, wondering what can be. We've got, we know who we are now. We know what the style of whiskey we want to create is. This is who we are. So it's just like MD can measure us against that now. So that's, that, I guess, that's the good progress we've made over the last nine months or so. And from the beginning, or at least certainly from the beginning of of setup and production, Lockley has been blessed, if you will, with some real heavy hitters from the scotch whiskey industry um be you know whether it's yourself uh coming over also previously malcolm rennie 
with Xperia, and we'll talk a little bit more about Malcolm as well. But you know, he's bringing you're bringing in from Lefroy. He's coming in from uh, Kilholman, Ardbeg, Bruchladik. You know, so many big name distilleries that also have a strong reputation for knowing how to do things, creating the style, and following a style that they like. And uh, in writing up my my review of the first release, the sewing edition. Yep. I was a bit skeptical at first because it was my first taste of the distillery. And I said, you know, there's no red flags. There's nothing, no alarm bells going off, but it's also like, it shouldn't, it almost shouldn't be this good at, at, you know, it's three years old. It's a brand new distillery. And yet off the bat, you've got something that's not only drinkable, which is its own bar, but also quite good at the same time. So I guess the question that I'm taking the long route to get to is, <laughs> is simply um, when, you know, when you were still at Lefroy, but uh, open to the idea of moving to another distillery, be it Lockley or, or another, uh, okay. what, what, what was the pitch made to you in terms of, again, that, that vision and not only what, the team in place wanted to do, but what they wanted you to do if you came in? That's a, that's a good question. I guess the best way to answer that is for me to use my experience because that's, I guess, the page I'm at in my story is just like I've got all that experience now. I know exactly how to do things, what you want, how you want it, like I can do that. Like if so, if you want a fruitier spirit, if you want a grassier spirit, if you want a maybe a more drier spirit, if you want a kind of more florally spirit, like I can tell you how to get all these things. So I guess that was the, the first thing um, that we kind of looked at and to understanding. And what I, one of the first things I did was interview everyone that worked on the team tell me about Lock Lee, tell me the character, how would it be if it was a human being, like all of these questions, just pushing and pushing and pushing to truly understand like what Lock Lee is. And so we've developed that over this year as well, and we've really honed in on that. And so I would say we're probably more in tune with that now, um, and we've tried to create the liquids like that. Um, sewing was okay, I would say. So I'm glad you think it was good. I, I thought it was it was okay. Um, but I think our barley and harvest, which you will be getting now, are much better versions of Loch Lee um, than, um, and we're just building and building and building our character. And it will, it will keep growing and growing and growing, I feel, as time progresses as well. And without getting too deep into these two products, the really all three products uh, right away, the newer ones, Harvest and Our Barley, had not only the addition of more time, but they had um, casks added to their maturation process that the sewing edition didn't. It was very, if you will, just straightforward. It was, you know, ex bourbon. Um, and so I, I agree with you in that the latter two are um, a step forward for sure. But there was value for, for me as a reviewer, certainly of tasting yeah. the sewing and saying, 
this is the spirit you know there's nothing there's nothing hiding it it's clear ex bourbon it's this is what it is and everything else can be built off of that no i understand that totally and you'll find that even with crop two sowing which we've bottled recently as well um you'll find it's a step up as well because we're just building an understanding more and more the more we can question ourselves at the distillery the more we understand who we are and so we're really pushing on these fronts so i think crop two sowing um, you'll find is a slightly different flavor and a more it'll have more depth in it as well so like we're building the depth and the spirit that's something we've really 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 pushed for over the last year so that's good um, and it's coming it is coming more and more and we will I think we're building that even looking forward and, and we we know the projects we're wanting to do in 2023 and we know what's, what's going to take and we know kind of what we need to do so yeah no it's, it's good I guess we've got that clarity of the steps I guess now that we need to take moving forward so as in we're in kind of year four now just over year four so like we, we understand what the spirit's going to be evolving like. We, we we need to take the consumer along in this journey as well. And we, we've got some interesting things lined up um, for the consumer coming in 2023 as well, just to show to show that development. I'm a consumer. I'm excited. And I'll be keeping an eye out for it for sure. And um, thankfully being in New York, I get pretty good distribution for them. Yep. Uh, but, you know, if you're a friend of the podcast, you know, I'm always happy to help you find things if you if I can. So with the style itself, you know, as I kind of alluded to in the intro of the major regions in Scotland, Lowland is probably the region I'm least familiar with. Uh, you know, whether it's Lowland and, and I'm including in Lowland, the islands uh, nearby, Arran, um, yep. Campbelltown, you know, so in various interviews I've kind of heard a, a balance emerge one where it's a lowland distillery. There's some elements of lowland character, but also it's not exactly lowland. you know? So how would you describe what the spirit is like, what category it might fall into or what it's meant to exhibit? Yeah, no, it's, it's definitely lowlands. I mean, with, with that's the region, that's where we're from. It's who we are. I think, I think, what consumers need to understand is Lowland has upped its game the most, probably of all the regions over the last probably four to five years. Um, there is more, um, I guess, new distilleries in this region than there is maybe anywhere else. That's probably fair to say as well. Um, there's some really exciting whiskies, some whiskies that are really, really pushing because Lowland would be generally known as a blending malt and for most people up until probably 10 years ago, you might be able to say two or three lowland malts off the top of your head, but you wouldn't have known as many as you would maybe Speysides or Islas or Highland distilleries. So I, I think it's a, it's a moving region. It's a, it's a coming region because a lot of the distilleries are doing really good work in this region as well. It's young, it's young. So it's coming forward fast it's kind of i would say it's developed its character more from a blending single malt where you might have got some 
grassy notes and just it was kind of inoffensive and quite bland to really rich and deep flavoured whiskies um, that will match probably anything in Scotland in 20 years time I feel so like that's that's what we're pushing for at Loch Lee. we want to get the most depth in our new spirit so that when we add it to the good casks that well it's just it's can't go wrong really it's going to be good liquid in whatever age we release it at so that's the vision that's the purpose I guess then we're that's what we will be trying to do and I know a lot of the other distillers in the region whom I speak to are really focused on delivering from that point of view because I guess historically Lowlands doesn't have that reputation versus most of the other regions and you know, you mentioned Lowland was also it had a, an association with blending yep. for a long time, and you know, up until I had to look this up, but up until 2009 in Kilmarnock, correct my pronunciations at any time, by the way. Uh, okay, you know, uh, <laughs> Johnny Walker had their had a their main blending facility. Yep, right there. Um, yep. It was for 189 years. Ahead of there, so uh, is it, in some ways, fair to say that the lowland region was in the shadow of that facility being there? Well, so it's, a, it's a yeah, it's an interesting angle, and I, to to a certain degree, I guess, because like Johnny Walker is so big, it's massive. It's like I don't know, is there any other? Is there any other brand like it, like across all spirits categories? I don't think there is. It's 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 huge. The volume, it's a peated whiskey. It's like it's unbelievable what it does, Johnny Walker, for the whole of the Scotch whiskey industry. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's blazing a trail, um, and we're all tucked in behind it, I guess, and. Metaphorically, um, but because it does open boundaries, it opens markets and gets people involved in whiskey um, that may not be, and then interest develops, and then you start breaking down, like there even the regions and say a, a Johnny Walker, and then you know there's some lowland in it, there's some highland, there's some isla, there's something like, and then you think, oh right, I want to start exploring regions, and so you start exploring the regions get the, the feeling of the region itself and then just you, you drill down and you drill down and you might like certain whiskies in Isla, you might like certain whiskies in Highland, Speyside, Lowlands and then it just develops and I, I know my journey has been somewhat like that, I guess slightly less because I, I just started working in whisky so young, I guess, but um, I think most people follow a journey kind of like that. So, yeah, I think Lowlands would have been synonymous with blends because you would have had um, most of the blending shops back in the day would have been in Glasgow, Edinburgh, Kilmarnock, places like that, the kind of the teachers, the ushers, the pairs, all of these like places. So, yeah, no, definitely. I can understand why... You, you think that, and I guess that's why we are trying to. Well, we're all trying to change the the viewpoint of Lowlands, and generally, I think it's been undervalued. And I think that viewpoint is about to change. 
I mean, certainly among my my friends who are more versed in, in lowland whiskey than I am, the names are are becoming more venerated. So the the Adams, the Springbanks, and their value, both monetary and otherwise, is exploding. But to put it bluntly, um, but the but yeah, it seems like they've only kind of come out of the shadow in the last decade, slightly decade plus, and it's been wonderful to see. I mean, between the the releases and and finishes that I Love Aaron did with the different wine casks using for a brief period, um, Bayer Barley, before uh, Bruchladik took that project over, if you will. Uh, it's exciting. And I, I, I love the idea that there are more distilleries opening there now to expand the profile. So, you know, bringing that back to, to Loch Lee, the, one of the things that uh, was one of the many things that were unique about this distillery is despite production beginning in 2018 being founded in 2014, I was really kept quite under wraps until really until uh, whiskey magazine did a feature in uh, 2020, 2021. And uh, at, at which point, you know, uh, Malcolm was featured. The team at the time was featured, obviously pre your tenure there, but uh, it was really kept, as I said, under wraps. And I'm curious, perhaps not only are other distilleries that are opening up following suit, um, uh, yeah, you know, let's just keep with that one question. Are you know, are other distilleries you're seeing popping up following suit with that kind of mindset? You know, and it's, it's as a different mindset because it's 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 quite hard because all of a sudden you can get all the razzmatazz. There's a new distillery. Whoop whoop whoop. The all the kind of poppers go off, and then all of a sudden, okay, we'll see you in three years because mm-hmm. that's the legal, I guess. <laughs> the laws that we have to kind of abide to. So it's very hard to keep attention for three years before you say, ta-da, here we are, and here's what we can show you so far of our journey. So I think Lockley just decided, well, we'll just stay quiet. We've got something to shout about. So um, it's hard. It's, it's a very... And it's it's a very finance-driven business as well, whiskey, because it, it is. You're like even right now we are planning 25, 30 years away, and so mm-hmm. that's cost right now that you won't see return on for 30 years. So like you have to plan for that, and so that's it's 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 a it's very hard not to sit in something for 29 years before you're going to make money. Um, although when it does come, you can make plenty of money, um, but it's still a, it's a it's a big financial commitment. So that's I guess why companies have taken the route of let's do a gin, let's do this, let's do that, because you have to keep the finances ticking over to keep laying down, so that you do have ten and twenty and thirty year olds in due course. So. Yeah, it's, it's tough. It is tough. And it's all financial commitment. So I guess that's why, I guess, maybe some people have seen what we've done and went, oh, that's an interesting angle, slightly different. Um, 
And so, yeah, it's almost like when you've got legal age whiskey, now we can we can start talking because you can start talking. Because it's hard for everyone if it's there's no whiskey, really. Sure. I mean, your, your colleague... Uh, <laughs> 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 yeah, we do. Your colleague, David, uh, David Ferguson, said it really well. He said, you know, there's... He didn't want to run out of things to say about the whiskey before you could actually taste it, or at least before, maybe not before you could taste it, before you could legally call it Scotch yeah. whiskey. Because of course you can taste it before then, but if you're on site, but um, you can't call it that, as you said, until three years old. So there's, it. It was just an interesting, you know. I look at distilleries in the U.S. that are popping up, and uh, very, very few. Kind of follow that and even the ones that there are ones that as you said put out gin or vodka or non-aged spirits there are a couple that have decided okay we're only going to do whiskey but have still kind of spoken or started talking before the whiskey is ready or yeah. even before they've started to sell it yeah. but they're very few really it's it's really about either are you going to sell stuff in between or stay silent between and um for whatever reason i feel like distilleries in the u.s have this spotlight on them right now where um perhaps ones in scotland which are no less deserving of a spotlight might might be able to hide for better for lack of a better term you know i i can't i guess it's saying i can't imagine if luckily we're in the u.s for example or like they just you know started in kentucky or even yep. a non-major state for, for whiskey, um, you know, someone would start talking about it, whether it's, doesn't have to be your team, the Lockley team, but someone would start talking, oh, there's this new distillery. They're growing grain. They're doing this. So it's, it was a fascinating difference of yeah. what you guys are I think it's the fact that we don't do tours either. You, you, know, yeah. you, you can't come and visit the site even now. It's mm-hmm. just, a, it's a production site and we're producing whiskey you can't come and take a tour to Lockley so it's we've still got that kind of mystique or aura about us the fact that like you just like, even if you wanted to you can't come and visit so um, and we're not ready for visitors in, in any shape or form we, we just don't have the facilities we don't have the, the team um, to support that but it's yeah, no, it's as slightly different because most people will start to do tours, start to do tasting, start to do income, show you it, like, like, and it's it's all it's all open up front. Whereas even now, Lochley is still a bit of a mystery, like because you, you can't just turn up because like it's it, it, and I think this is the thing that maybe people don't understand is like the actual size of the place. It's so small. It is so small. It's like, and I guess maybe the best way to explain it is like, if, if we do compare head to head with my with my old lovely place at Lefroy, um, Lefroy does in eight hours what Lockley does in a week. It's a completely different scale. And it's just like, it's, it's, uh, it's just it's just completely different so it's awesome and i suppose also there's with the growth of whiskey tourism 
worldwide. The Bar Cart Co-op is a group of five shows with something for everyone. First up is My Whiskey Den, hosted by Mike Lisak, Pat Bologna, and Mitch Weddle. Listen and watch live on Mondays at 9 for thoughts and discussions on craft spirits and, once in a while, some downright odd things. And yes, I'm talking about the cantaloupe liqueur that I can't believe could be good, yet I gotta admit, it's fantastic. Next up is Bourbon Turntable, hosted by Kevin Rose and Drew Crawley. Kevin and Drew are true lovers of both music and bourbon, and I got to join them to talk about my own whiskey and music journey back in March. It's still one of my favorite episodes I've ever been a part of, and it's a show that I listen to every single week. The next two are from a guy you may have heard of. After all, he's a two-time guest on the Whiskey Ring podcast. Mr. Alan Bishop, head alchemist at Spirits of French Lick and self-proclaimed reviver of the history of Indiana's Black Forest. Alan has two shows in the co-op, both of which are also weekly listens for me. The first one is Distiller's Talk with co-host Christy Atkinson. It's probably the nerdiest spirits podcast I know of, and that's including my own, and I absolutely love it. Some weeks you'll be talking and capturing wild yeast and long-gone ghost distilleries in the Black Forest region. Others you'll be hearing from some of the most exciting up-and-comers in the distilling, brewing, and overall spirits-producing industry. Most of these distilleries he's gone, I've never even heard of before the episode. But after listening, all I want to do is find out more and explore new ways of looking at spirits and all the nerdy stuff that I love about this industry. And last but certainly not least is Alan's other podcast, If You Have Ghosts, You Have Everything. Exploring the paranormal side of Hoosier-occupied Kentucky, Alan intertwines his own experiences with stories about neighbors, colleagues, and local legends, and why you should never go into the forest alone at night. Part scary story, part homage to the rich history of Southern Indiana, this show comes straight from Alan's heart and soul. Take a listen or watch to any of these amazing shows, and thank you to the Bar Car Co-op community for welcoming me. Join the community on Facebook, follow on Instagram and YouTube, and you'll have another show for every day of the week. Um, the you, you couldn't really have a distillery in again in, in the U.S. It's just almost impossible to have one where you don't have a visitor center. You know, everything's on Google Maps. Everything's there. But I'm curious also being basically within an hour's drive from Glasgow uh, to the shore. Um, I know that your the company's vision is to have a visitor center or, or an ability to visit way down the line. Um, but do you find yourself tempted to uh, tease people and be like, well, you know, we're only an hour away or we're only a, a short drive away. Just give us a few years and you come back. Uh, no, it's just it's not who we are right now, I guess. And it's just it's funny this. It's just it's it's easy the answer to this, and it's, it's just no, not yet. Um, it's a farm, so like it really is a farm, and it's not like an inverted commas farm distillery. It is a farm, so like you literally drive up a track to get to the distillery. So we're, we're, we just couldn't take visitors. There's not that. The, there's no car park. It's just there's a place where we put the barrels, and it's just like it's, it is. You can see pictures on social media and stuff like that. It really is like it is that small. It is like it. It's it's quite hard to explain this, and it's in the middle of nowhere as well. 
and it, you're right, it is it's a 35-minute drive from Glasgow because I stay in Glasgow and I drive to work and it's 35 minutes. It's not it's not that far away and it's it's literally an eight-minute drive from Kilmarnock, which we've already mentioned in the in this uh, chat. So like it's it, it isn't far away from major towns, major cities, but it's up in the hills. Um, and it's to be to be honest, it's it's if you've ever been to Kentucky and you're listening, it's it's kind of like Kentucky, like the way maybe if you're driving up to Maker's Mark or something, like that, it's it's kind of like that the landscape, honest, uh, because you're just you're in a valley um, and then you're moving up and through the kind of the hills um, up and then you just get this. You wouldn't even know it's a distillery. You could drive past the end of the road and you wouldn't know it was a distillery. Um, and most people wouldn't understand it. So it's yes, it's it will come and we will develop the site to hopefully to be able to show people what we're up to in the future. Um, but it's yeah, it is yeah, yeah. It's just it, it's it's so small. Like the walk from the entrance of say the mall in the malt where we take our malt in to where we put the spirit out. 50 meters max. It's tiny. It is tiny. And that includes mashing, six washbacks, two stills, and through a wall into the filling store. It's, it's it isn't it isn't a big site. It makes makes you know in 10 years time it'll make a uh, a short but lovely tour. So um <laughs> but we'll we'll check back in 10 years time on that. So uh, you know We'll switch gears a little bit now going to the really the site itself uh and i think no better place to start than as you said it's the farm it's a 222 acre farm i believe um and all the barley grown and used is grown on the farm yep and <clears throat> pardon me so the first thing is just to talk to touch on is uh the style of barley that you're using now you're using all laureate barley correct yes yep and um i think you have been using concerto a little bit before but kind of settled on on laureate yeah uh so what was it about the about the two different styles that uh in doing the lockley process and and distilling them led you to choose all right this is the one that I think makes the most sense for the character we want to achieve. Yeah, no, and that's well, that's a that's a that's a really really again good question because it's it's more this is more about probably the farming side and the technical side of farming rather than the technical side of distilling because the laureate is just more robust. It can take different weather. We are at Lochley more towards the west coast so you do get more weather fluctuations than you would say on the east coast which is isn't that far away but it does have a completely different climate so it's just more robust to the the vagaries of west coast weather i guess um so that's probably why laureate more than anything else um the the death like i guess terroir i guess for a bit from a 
We don't understand that 100% yet either. It is something we will understand fully um, going forward when we, we're we starting experiments on that next year. We, we, we will start to understand what difference it makes growing barley in Ayrshire and growing barley at Loch Lee, up in the hills in Ayrshire versus somewhere um, down at the coast. Um, we have done an interesting experiment this year where we malted the barley on the site as well. So we do have um, a small amount of liquid maturing away in our warehouse now that's fully done on site. So we've, we've started these processes to try and understand like what difference it makes growing in Ayrshire versus, I guess, in the valley in, in Glasgow or over in Isla or up north in Aberdeenshire. So we are starting to hopefully move towards understanding what Ayrshire and being growing in the lowlands means. And that kind of preempts a question I was going to ask. And I, I don't always use the term terroir. I'm not sure if people are always comfortable with it. I let my guests kind of lead that one. Um, and I know in a separate interview, David had uh, kind of obliquely referred to the terroir question of what does distilling and growing in Ayrshire mean? And uh, he also kind of obliquely related to, I believe it was Waterford Distillery in Ireland, where they're you know taking from all these different farms and distilling one at a time and seeing what that means. Um, but I'm I'm quite excited to hear that you know you're experimenting with that. Um, it makes it sound. I feel like I make it sound sometimes like it's a requirement for distilleries to test out their terroir. It's not at all in my mind, but it does excite me to hear that you're testing things out like that because who knows could be a whole different character and as long as it matches the character that you want to create then all the better uh that does leave me to ask i you know i do want to just hear more about what does the climate of Ayrshire look like um you mentioned the fluctuations of course but just kind of year round yeah so i guess it's it's, yeah it's different even like I stay in Glasgow, which is 35 minutes away, and it's a it's a different valley, basically. So I would say Glasgow, from my one year's experience, uh, versus Loch Lee, Glasgow gets hotter when it's hotter and colder when it's colder. So, like, um, in the summer, you can be leaving Loch Lee, and it's maybe 20 Celsius, 25 Celsius. You get to Glasgow, and it's above 30 Celsius. In the winter, it's minus two at Lochley. You get to Glasgow, it's minus 11. So that's what we've had last week. So it's just like the one year's experience there. Um, so I'm not sure that, that really amounts to much, but it just seems like the weather in the different valleys is different. There's probably more rain in the Glasgow Valley than there is in the Ayrshire Valley as well. So that will probably slightly affect things too. So, yeah, you know, um, it's, it's, it's strange how you pay attention to these details the older you get. And I guess the more you understand about what that means, what the weather means to the liquid you're creating as well. So because it just does, like the, the colder it gets, sometimes you get these really nice floral notes coming through in, in your spirit character that are, can only be 
attributed to that really, really sharp cold weather. And that's their, their nice to see, actually. Just, again, depth. It's all about depth of flavour. I'll bore people to death about pushing on depth and depth and depth, but that is something that it adds to depth. So I know, like, previously we had, like, you would get the same at Lafroy, you would get nice kind of floral notes coming through in the winter. So what you would do, you would actually marry different casks together, summer, winter, autumn, spring casks, different heights and warehouse, different kind of points, different kind of strengths, so that you would build up the depth through all of these different things as well. And that's, I guess, the art of blending, which we are now doing at Loch Lee. We're trying to get all of the the variations that are possible and understand all them, and that's something we've still got a bit of work to do, but try and push them into the liquid as well so that people can understand that depth and the full potential of what Lockley can be. I do have to ask also just as a, as a side note to your history at Lefroig, I know some of the finishing casks used at Lockley have been um, expedited. Many of them, uh, purely coincidence, have been from Ten-year-old Lefroy casks, uh, but on kind of a day-to-day basis, do you miss at all working with the peat that you used to work with? Uh, I miss Lefroy. You'll always miss Lefroy. Lefroy is awesome, um, and I miss a lot of the people that work at Lefroy as well. So, like, uh, you, you build like if you've been at Lef- somewhere for nearly thirty years, you build deep and kind of meaningful relationships with people who have definitely been there that time too. So, yeah, you miss, miss all of these things. Um, do I miss Pete? I, I don't know. Like, I don't think about it like that. It's more like, it was funny when there was Lefroy Casks there. It was, it was, it was just very funny to me because, um, like, well, I, I know what I'm looking for here. Um, <laughs> so I know what Lefroy looks like. I'm trying to understand what Loch Lee feels like and we need to get the balance of both when we use these casks. So, yeah. And that'll, it provides a good segue to jump into uh, the process as well. So, and it's also jumping to the end of the process too, but going into the casks, um, the, before we go into the, the Freud, and Maker's Mark connection a little more, I do want to ask, uh, you know, what the warehousing looks like right now. Like, how are you storing barrels and how are you planning to store barrels? Yeah, no, so there's um, there's three warehouses on site right now. Um, we just built a third one this year um, and, and full size. Um, so normally it'll be kind of racked warehousing, um, that we will do. We do have a lot of traditional warehousing as well, Dunnage style warehousing, and a small amount of kind of um, palletized warehouse as well, mainly for refills. So, like, we will use refills in the future, um, mainly because the reason for that is you want Lockley power in your older whiskeys. So, like, we are filling some of that for like an 18-year-old, a 25-year-old, they'll be all in refill casts. Right. You want something that's going to build, as you said, the depth of the whiskey without overpowering it, especially if you've spent 20 years making 
making the whiskey what it is and letting it mature to a certain point. You don't want it to be blown out of the water at the last minute. Yeah, no, we don't want the cask to win ever. Like I am very sensitive to casks winning in whiskey. Like it's just that's my probably my biggest sensitivity is dry and wood in whiskey. I really don't like that. So like, yeah, I'm going to be probably maybe over cautious on that point of view because I know people do like dry flavors and whiskey as well, and they add to the depth, but it won't be too dry with me ever. I don't think. And I am so happy to hear you say that. I have been searching for someone to say that that because <laughs> I'm the same way. Honestly, uh, my uh, my biggest sensitivity with whiskey is I don't want it to taste woody. I'm okay with oak pepperiness, oak creaminess, but once it tastes like you're chewing on a stave, it's too much. And then add into that the flavorings that you can have from, from whether, you know, a sherry cask or something other than the next bourbon, let's say, um, I want to be able to, to taste the whiskey underneath. And that goes back to the point about, you know, even if the initial sewing edition was not um, the final product, if you will, it does give a sense of what is the actual whiskey underneath. What does that taste like? And then everything else you can go off of that, but without knowing that base, then it can just get hidden behind wood and finishings and, and all of that. So I'm so glad to hear someone, let alone someone of your stature, say something that aligned with kind of my feeling on, on cask use in whiskey. Um, so the uh, next question with that is, you know, so you have three warehouses, Dunnage, palletized, being on the West Coast, getting the airflow off of the bay, um, I'd imagine you're also kind of planning for a bit of, let's say, salinity uh, to come in or something else from the air. Yeah, no, that's a bit we still to find out. It was it was uh, funny as well, because even like with, I keep going back to my experience at Lefroy, but I've got a lot of experience at Lefroy. It was between six and 13 years the salinity really came into Lefroy. It wasn't there in younger ones. So... It just it, it, it's something that might develop over time, and um, we we aren't six years old yet. So, in maybe a couple of years, that type of flavour will start to develop coming through. Yeah. So, yeah, it is. It's really interesting. It's it's we we are trying to fast forward in so many ways as well, and finding out about what we will be and what we'll become. But it's something you just got to wait. It's just time. You just got to. It's it's risky. There's, there's nothing that, <laughs> nothing takes the place of time with whiskey. And believe it, you know that they have tried. It hasn't yeah, been no, successful yet. So. No. no, no, it's just, and it just, it's, yeah, because like even Lefroy, we we did quarter cask, which is smaller casks, kind of changing the aging profile. So it's just. Yeah, no, it just you can't get into a place to time. Not for salt or salinity, anyway. Yeah. I, so, sidebar just for a second. Um, I forgot to write down that question, but I did want to ask you just about the quarter cask use. Is it's? I don't. I don't think there's anyone else, certainly not large scale, doing that in 
in Scotland, you do see smaller casks being used on the side of the Atlantic. But um, let's say generally when you see quarter cask finished and it's not directly from Lefroy, you can kind of guess it's from Lefroy because no one else is doing it. Um, what, what led to using quarter casks there? And, and particularly, I would say, after hearing you say that one of your biggest concerns is over casking a whiskey yeah no because well we made that mistake so many times at the beginning with quarter cask because it was basically a 10 year old into quarter cask and that was like oof, that was horrible we left it for a year and you'd be as well tuning a table as yeah. you wouldn't know you were drinking whiskey um, and then we eventually changed things around um, and we just had to put some younger liquid in there to because it had to have the Freud DNA as well. So like we, we ended up changing all these things. The second maturation time came down from a year, down to six months, and then we put basically five to 11-year-old whiskies. We ended up with a marriage of whiskies on the other side into the quarter cask for six, seven months. And then that was it. It was, it was that was where we ended up. But it took us uh, from, I think the concept was 2001 to 2004 before we ended up kind of, it was launched in 2004 quarter cask. So that, that, it took a long time to get it right just because it just felt overcooked all the time. And it's like, nope, nope. And then we were playing about with alcohol near the end too. And we used Friends Lafroig to determine the alcohol because most people would have done 46 and quarter cask was 48 just because it was just better. We did the same with sewing last year too with Lochley. Mm-hmm. It was 48% alcohol just because it was just better at 48 than 46. It just a wee bit more vibrancy. Um, right, and it just felt better on the palate. Right. And, and the, new, the two uh, newer releases, the Harvest and the uh, Our Barley, are both at 46 instead of 48. Um, but again, that seems like that's just where they tasted best. And in both cases, despite having i think both have three maturation casks uh associated with them the malts never lost so you know target achieved on that and i would guess also you don't want to go below 46 because that's when you start to get flocking as you're non-chill filtering or it's a brand new year the perfect time for a new whiskey experience this january my new experience is at loch lee distillery Sitting on the lowland coast of Scotland, Loch Lee is a relatively new distillery with some iconic names behind it. Set up by Malcolm Rennie, and now overseen by John Campbell, Loch Lee sits on a farm once tilled by the patron saint of everything Scottish himself, Robert Burns. Loch Lee's first release, the sewing edition First Crop, was one of my top new whiskies of 2022 and one of the best first releases of the year. At the end of 2022, I picked up the newer Our Barley and Harvest Edition releases in advance of my own interview with John Campbell, and both were worthy follow-ups. Each built on the clean, barley-forward, and mildly lowland style of the sewing edition by layering in multiple cask finishes. Each comes in a patterned glass bottle, evoking the barley where all of this starts. Keep an eye out for early 2023. Their Fallow Edition is set to hit shelves in Q1, and I, for one, can't wait. The third in the annual series of limited seasonal bottlings, Loch Lee Fallow Edition First Crop 
reflects the season of autumn on the farm, when the fields are left fallow to rest after a busy harvest. This will be the first Lochley release to be matured solely in 100% first fill Oloroso sherry butts. As always, it is non-show filtered with no coloring. It comes with a beautiful lavender label to match the rich colors of the previous seasonal bottlings. A big thank you to Impex Beverages for being the Whiskey Ring Podcast presenting sponsor, and cheers to you all in a new year. Hey, Whiskey Ringers. I hope you've been taking advantage of that podcast-only code for the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society. They've got around 20 bottlings coming out each month, and there's never a shortage of new things to explore. For the holiday season, December, January, we've got even more bottles than usual available to try and available to buy. If you are a U.S.-based listener, there are at least 12 casks just for this month's release, plus additional ones coming out. If you are a U.K. listener or an EU listener, there are over 30, a ridiculous number of bottles that you can try and get your hands on. Remember to use code WRP at checkout to get 25% off your annual membership. And when you get that special bottle, post a picture on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and tag us at Whiskey My Wedding Ring, Whiskey Ring Podcast, and hashtag Whiskey Ring to let us know you've got that great bottle in hand. That right? Yeah, no, it's non yeah, it's non-chill-felt and non-colored, yeah. Um, so, yeah, no, right. that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. we don't want population. Exactly. Can't go below there. All right. So, with, so that's kind of the, the cask aspect of it. And in various conversations, I've heard as, as high a number as 14 different cask types in the warehouses right now. I won't press on the exact number of that for sure, but um, to tie into the next topic, which is really diving into the process as, as we go into our last kind of segment, um, one of the, again, unique things about Lockley is that you have different maturation styles. You've got a shorter one, a longer one meant for different purposes. So the shorter one to get more interaction more quickly, get liquid out to for sale, for tasting, and then a longer one for those 10, 15 plus year maturations. Um, from your experience and when you're looking at these casks that you have available to you, what to you says, all right, this is a cask for long maturation. This is a cask for two to three year, well, I guess three plus year maturation. Yeah, and I guess that is, that's probably the biggest thing we've changed over the last year. We don't do two types of whiskey anymore. We just do one. Oh. So, yep, we've changed that, um, David. So, yep. Um, you know, we just make one good one now, and it does both. Hey, that's fair. It's, so when I glad. heard about it, it was, it was a bit unique. I didn't know people were doing that before. Yeah, no, it's it's a it's a there was a guy called Jim Swan, and it was uh, one of his techniques to do kind of it's different cuts as well, so different cuts for the spirit and different mashing techniques basically allowed it to be either early or late maturing, but we've just gone to producing. Um, one type of spirit now. Um, we need to build more flexibility into when we had liquid available for bottling, really. So we just, that was that was the main reason. And it's, 
it's got a good depth than you spit it to. So that will slightly change things, yeah. Okay, fair. Very fair. So that leads us into, again, it's the last, and I mean, it's a big topic, but it, I always save it for last, which is simply the process, the yeah. really in-depth process. So the you know first thing to ask is at Lockley working on fourth scythe stills and they were custom made when you obviously again we've we've spoken to your your experience and your ability to say if you want this do this if you want that do that um having said that when you came over from the Freud to Lockley you're using what are to you new stills uh how long did it take you to kind of get a feel for what you were working with um i guess like i, I knew kind of like how things work um so i knew going by what they were doing what they were trying to achieve um I guess that's just what I just learned all that. I was lucky enough to work with Robert Hicks back in the day, and he told me exactly like how I still worked, and this is what you would get, and this if you ran it this way, this is what you would get, and when you take your cuts, and you follow, this is how you do your cuts, and this is like, so like we would literally go through Lafroy runs every two and a half minutes, taking a sample. This is what it's doing. This is what it's doing. So I got a great in-depth training and basically how stills run and this is what you're doing and this is what you're trying to achieve if you do this. So um, I kind of understood what they were trying to do anyway. So it was just like, I'm there to compliment, I guess, more than anything else as well. So like just trying to help achieve the goal that Lochley's trying to get. So the guys, yeah, we, we do do a few slightly different things now, but it's like it's it's not it's not hugely different. It's not hugely different. I guess the biggest difference is probably in mashing versus anything else. Yeah, well, we will definitely get there in a second. Uh, with so just for for people who uh, don't have a visual right now on on what the stills are like, what does the still setup look like? Yeah, no, there's one uh, wash still, ten thousand liter volume. Um, and there's one spirit still, probably about six and a half, seven thousand liter volume, um, and they, the the wash still is pretty traditional, kind of straight away. The spirit still has the bubble boil in it, um, which is probably another traditional Jim Swan thing, just to get more kind of copper contact. Um, moving through. So, yeah, um, yeah, just, just, I guess that's it. That'll come, that'll produce sulfites that'll probably pay dividends in later years. And we're talking um, direct fire, steam heated? Uh, steam, steam, steam kind of pans inside. Yeah. Steam pans inside, yeah. So, uh, going back again, we're going to the process, but uh, going back to this idea that you're coming on November 2021. Previously, Malcolm Rennie had been there. He helped with all the stages of of creating 
the, the setup and the washbacks and the still type that they wanted um, without, you know, any offense or anything meant to uh, Malcolm, were there any things that had you been there that you would have changed or wanted to change about the setup? Uh, I don't know. That's, that's a pretty hard question to answer as well, because, yeah, I don't know what his beef was either. So, <laughs> um, so not really. It's, it's a good site. It's, it's well set up. So, no, I, I don't think there's anything that I can say there that would have changed anything, no. Okay. I mean, again, he's someone who obviously has a great deal of experience as well. So it, I doubt it would have been, not I doubt, I, I know it wouldn't have been an amateur setup to begin with, but, it, you know, it's always worth asking it. Whenever you get distillery, you know, master distillers or and equivalencies going in and saying, well, maybe let's change the angle of that line arm a little bit or, you know, something like that. I'm always curious to see if people have their own styles that they they prefer in those areas. Yeah, no, and I, I think definitely from my point of view, it's not about that. It's about trying to maximize locally. It's not about like what I want or that like I'm a one-trick pony. I'm just trying to, I guess I'm trying to show that now with the fact that I'm moved from kind of probably polar opposites um, to try and show that I can do things slightly differently as well. Um, so, yeah, no, just, just you've got to try and work with the, the circumstances and try and do the best with what you've got. And, like, the circumstances were good at Lockley. So, yeah, no, happy enough with all of that. Right. Uh, so going through the process of making the whiskey and making from, you know, grain to bottle, right now... All the barley is grown on site, on the farm. Um, are there, and right now the, the volume can be handled by the farm. Uh, any plans to expand that either with expanding the farm, you know, buying up more property surrounding or adding in adjacent farms to the process? <sighs> I guess that's that's the plan. Soon we will own Ayrshire. So <laughs> <laughs> I guess like so yeah, not 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 sure. Um we still have opportunity to grow a wee bit within that. But yeah, you know, it's something hopefully if things keep going the way they've been going this year that we will have to look at. Yeah. And I, I ask because there's a you know another relatively new distillery in Scotland, um, Ardemarkin, who's been very open about the fact that they're not, basically they're only going to be doing what they can do on the, on their site. However many trees are on their site is how many, you know, that everything is limited by that. Um, and so that itself is a new concept to self-limit immediately. Um, but I know, of course, the calling card of Loch Lee is one of them has been, only using the barley on site. So, uh, yeah, it was a, a necessary question, even if it's several yeah, years no, away. It's, 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 I don't know. It's, it's one of those things. It's um, it's just a bit of kind of, 
Yeah, no, that, that question will be answered at some point because we we can produce a lot of barley on the site. So, um, yeah, we'll see, I guess. We'll see. We haven't got to that stage yet. We're a few years away from that. Um, so we'll, we will see. But, yeah. So moving forward in the process then, so you've got grain coming in. I know right now, as you mentioned, you, you're experimenting a little bit with in-house malting, but most almost all of it is still uh, off-site. Um, I guess, what is the status of uh, potentially malting on-site? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, <laughs> it's something we'll look at, um, something we've done this year. Um, and um, it was... It was it was tough this year. We were using trailers for steeps. We were using our new warehouses, the malting floors, and then using the barley dryer to to dry the grain down to what we thought might be right for malted barley. So um, it wasn't so much about getting alcoholic yield. It was more about like the flavour profile and what it could be like if we did do it on the site ourselves. So the 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 spirit character was really good. Um, we just now need to find the, <laughs> the way to try and get that in place, I guess, uh, through one way or another. Um, so I guess the main thing, spirit character's good. We have to try and find a building to get floor molten capability in it. So then just to dig a little bit deeper on that, would you consider it an inevitability that you'll have in-house yeah. malting at some point, or if you're happy enough with the quality of, you know, malting being done outside, would you consider staying with this with the arrangement that you have now? Now, the, the, the biggest factor in that decision is that it'll change the spirit so much, um, even more than like you'd say we've gone from two spirits to one spirit. It's a big of change going from non-floor malted to floor malted. It will change the spirit completely. So hmm. it's it's a it's a it's a very very tough and a very good strategic question for us to try and answer. Maybe we just do something like what Springbank or Kilhoman do, where they just do periods of 100% Isla or 100 like 100% local barley. Um, not sure. Customers will decide a wee bit as well, to be fair. So we'll we'll well react to what they want. That'll keep us in business. So sure. um, we'll see. We'll see. Four to five years time, we'll understand that question a lot more. All right, fair. So we've got two points now to follow up. We've got four to five years for that, and about ten years for the long maturing distillate. So you know, Marth calendars now for sure. To be honest, you've tasted some of the longest during this already. I know, and, I, and I've quite enjoyed it. Yeah, so no, we're, we're blending, we're blending, even now, long and short mature. We are blending, so you you will have tasted some of it, especially now, barley. And so the next step after that, of course, the mashing. And within the mashing, you mentioned that there's something a little different now and it's one of the more unique aspects of Lockley. Uh, so, you know, I had 
points that I wanted to hit on of, you know, the different yeast types and the types of washbacks that you're using. But um, I'm curious to just kind of let you go as ter- in terms of what's the, that story behind the, the mashing process. So like there's basically, see that how much turbidity you've got in your wort. Um, so you either, and that's down to a couple of things, I guess, like raking and non-raking of um, the mash tun when you are filling your fermenter. Um, and then again, same when you're filling your heater. So um, different levels of, you can go to so many variations in this as well. Um, so the way you can do your waters different, you can basically just put on enough for like to fill your fermenter and then it's almost like two processes. You, you put on enough water to fill your fermenter and then you stop and then you put on enough water to fill your heater for your next run or it's just a smooth flow from one to the other to the other and then you just move on and you move on and you move on so we've moved from basically the first option i was talking about there to the second option but it's just a flow now it's it's just a flow um we do some raking and not some raking so we do um we've introduced more of probably the clear wort um into the process which will give us more fruit um in the fermentation so we've done that we have changed yeasts um, if we move into the fermentations now as well and um, so we've moved the yeasts away um, from kind of dried yeasts to pressed yeast um, as well and that's again giving us more fruits and um, so we are trying to double down on that um, because we had plenty of grass and plenty of cereal coming through in the spirit, so we have tried to double down in the fruit again, just giving us more, more variation and more depth um, coming through in that. Um, so yeah, like, and that's something we've really, really concentrated on over the last probably year or so, just getting that dialed in and dialed in and dialed in, and like when we think we would like because we're. Even from a, an efficiency point of view, we have really dialed into tenth of a degree for extract, etc. So we are, we've really, really pushed, and the team's done amazingly well in trying to get the maximum extract out of the um, the opportunity we have in front of us. So, yeah, now we've really, really pushed on both these fronts over the last year. And moving from on the yeast topic in particular, moving from the dried yeast to the pressed yeast, um, are you now down to just one type or are you still using multiples? No, just one type. Just one type? Yep. yep. All right. Is this the one that happens to be from Belgium? I'm just curious. No. no. Oh, okay. Away from both of them, yep. Yep. Right. So we've just gone for a, a, a pressed yeast that's just gives us more fruit and it gives us more flexibility again, just with what we're up to now. Sure. And then, uh, you know, the last question in the process, since we've kind of handled the after distillation aspect of it is the, actually, I'm sorry, two questions on that. First one is, uh, 
you mentioned, of course, the clear wart versus the semi-clear wart. Uh, when it's going into the still, are you s- distilling on grain or is it all filtered out before it goes in? It's, yeah, no, it's filtered out, yeah. yeah. Um, and then following that, Lovely has this uh, slow distillation. Yes. How you described it. So um, it's not something I'm really familiar with for sure. And I'm just curious to hear what does slow distillation look like? So, uh, yeah, it, it's, it needs to be slow at the beginning rather than slow all the way through. So, basically, you've gone to all the trouble of producing these fruity flavours. If you distill too fast, they'd be gone. You wouldn't get them. Mm-hmm. So, it's all about harnessing them. So, like, if you distill nice and slowly, especially in your wash distillation, your first distillation, you will harness and hold all these fruit flavours into the spirit type. So really, it's it's the first distillation or the wash distillation that we've slowed down even slower, and then we we then build it up slowly, um, rather than running at the same speed all the way through. And it's off when it's off. We we start slowly and ramp up just because we're trying to harness all these fruit flavors. So how long would a typical let's say first run? distillation take then if following a slow process and uh, probably about eight hours eight, about eight hours okay uh, and then so that's the uh the first is that including both um stills or just the first still yeah, that's the first still second just still first. Will be better. yeah it's probably about six and a half seven hours second distillation gotcha um and do you just because again it's a very small distillery are you and, and team, are you running kind of a uh, the one distillation one day, hold it, and then do the second distillation the next day, or do you do an overnight shift to uh, kind of run continuous? No, we do we do we do batch. It's just batches, so it's basically one batch every day. So we will do one mash, which fills one fermenter, and we empty one fermenter into the wash still, and we do a distillation run on the same day so it's just like one mash one wash distillation one spirit distillation every monday to friday so yeah so we do have different two different lengths of fermentation as well so we have 64 hours or 114 hours for the longs so that that again will add slightly different flavor profiles into our um, spirit bar at the end of the week and I imagine the shorter one would also increase those fruity notes that you're looking for. Not quite. It's just a wee bit too short. It's too short. Okay. It's just too short. If we got to like the kind of 80 hour mark, it would be perfect then. Um, but the, the older ones are more kind of grassy. And um, so they, they all come through that way. Gotcha. And you can't go much past, you know, at 114, that's what? We're entering day six, end of day five, day six of that. Just doing back, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah almost day five. Yeah. Almost day five. You know, yeah. by day by the end of day six or seven, you'd have just yeast just dying there because there's nothing more to eat. <laughs> so Yeah, no, no. And that's 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 the thing. Um it's yeah, that sometimes that some, sometimes people look for that, but um it's not it's not a flavor we're looking for right now. All right. All right. So 
with the last couple of notes we have, and I, yep. I always keep it to a tight, tight time frame there. Um, I do the very last topic, which uh, some people might look at as kind of the biggest thing of the area, which is simply the connection with Robert Burns. Yep. So uh, Robert Burns basically basically is close to a saint in Scotland as you can get for a non-religious figure. Uh, short of also royalty uh, and of course there's a pers- personal connection with him farmed the site for seven yep. years grew up right there yep. um, and you know looking at just a list of people who lived or were born in Ayrshire he's, he's far from the only well-known figure I mean there's other ones too but because he's got the Lockley yeah that farm specifically um, there is a strong connection. So uh, I, I won't, I won't waste your time going through all the, uh, the full story of, of Robert Burns there. Um, actually, if you, if you want to read that, um, do visit the website and their website, Lockley's website. And also my uh, review of the sewing edition went into that a bit, but the question that I really wanted to ask about it was you've got this historical figure of, huge significance to the country, to the people in the area. Absolutely. Um, And we've seen this in, in whiskeys across the world. You know, if you have a figure that's important there that they capitalize on the name, the connection, you get named editions and all of this. Uh, And Lockley has been quite clear about, you know, we're not going to have a Gaelic named whiskey. It's not going to have, we're not going to have a, you know, Robert Burns edition, or at least not a Burns named whiskey. And of course, I won't hold you to that, you know, however long in the future, but um, there's a balance to be had between marketing and character. Yeah. And, I, and I'm curious, especially from your seat, not only from your previous position, but also what you've seen in the first year there, how is the company managing to balance the association with such a figure without the whiskey getting lost behind that association. No, and it's it's definitely it's an anecdotal story more than something the main topic of discussion for us. It's just like he has probably Scotland's favourite son ever. Um, and always will be held in that regard, rightly so, um, as well. But he just happened to live at Lochley 245 years ago. That's something we talk about and we're proud about, but it's not the main story. It's like the main story is the whiskey, and we have to keep the focus being on the whiskey now. And we use some of the terminology in, in our packaging and some of the it will set some of the tones um, for the brand and the distillery as a whole, but like it's not, it's not who we are. It's not wholly who we are. Um, we're proud of that history, absolutely, as well. Um, but yeah, it's just it's, it's more of an anecdotal story that oh, do you know he happened to live here 245 years ago as well with his dad when he dad tenanted the farm for seven years. So. Um, yeah, it's it's more that um, 
because it's just like Lochley needs to be real on its own two feet rather than trying to use the shadow of somebody else to be who we are. We need to be, we need to just be who we are and with the, these lovely extra stories. I think that's a fantastic way to close out our, our chat. So John, thank you so much for taking the time today to talk about Lockley, to talk about your experience and history. Um, we'll ha- once the episode comes out, there'll be uh, links to, of course, the website, to all social media, to reviews on uh, whiskeyandmyweddingring.com. Uh, you can also, of course, take a look at your local liquor store for not only the sewing edition, it's probably sold out by now, but the um, harvest edition and the our barley should be yeah. in stores now. I picked up mine last weekend. So definitely take a look for those. And, you know, I'll have reviews for those as well. Other than that, thank you for listening. Uh, thank you for supporting. There are four stops, four slots, excuse me, remaining uh, on the Whiskey Ring podcast and Patreon for the Bottle Share Club. Get a chance to try some of these incredible whiskeys. And with that, again, I will thank you, John, for taking the time today. No, thanks so much, David, and uh, for inviting me onto the podcast. And yeah, hopefully, learn a few bits and pieces about me and Lockley. And yeah, hopefully, be over in the States soon. See you then. Perfect, perfect. Um, hang on with me for just a second, and then I'll let you go. Uh, it's been another episode of the Whiskering Podcast. Thanks for listening.